So the reason I play my piano today and I have one at my home office is because my mom insisted, not that I become in quotes normal, but that I refuse to have crutches in life. What a gift that is as a leader or as a parent to demand from their child, listen to me. They may have taken your fingers. They've not taken your life. You will not act like that in this house. That is a gift. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, we are discussing not letting time and life just slip by. We bring back John O'Leary, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, on Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. John's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. It's a top iTunes business podcast, and he's just a highly sought after speaker. So if you're not aware of John, he was badly burnt on 100% of his body as a kid. He should have died. I mean, definitely. But he didn't. And today, he says if he could go back, he let it all happen as it did. In this show, we got to talking about how many of us, maybe most of us, we're almost handicapped though, because we haven't had a significant tragedy like that happen to us. And it's caused us to often take life and time for granted at some level. And we fall into inactivity and what John has coined accidental living. It's a really convicting discussions. Sometimes we want to discount someone who we think had a benefit that we didn't. Well, I don't think we think of having a gas can blow us up as a kid as being a benefit, but to some degree, John really does to a great degree. And the point is not to go blow yourself up. It's to realize that you may be allowing comfort and ease to steal your glory, which begs the question, of course, what do we do? Well, listen into the show and hear what John has to say. Uh, He's also inviting Ziggler listeners to his new Live Inspired in Studio with John O'Leary, an online community of like-minded friends who do life together and get inspired with John via live webcast once a month. So you can check it out at johnolearyinspires.com slash studio. And actually right now, pre-register at a special price before the registration is open to the general public. But we talk a little bit about it in the show. You'll hear. But before we begin with John, I have some great resources for you. Okay, folks, here then I bring you John O'Leary. All right, John, you are one of the handful of people we've ever had back on this show. And man, it is an incredible honor to uh, see your face again. And I'm excited to give folks your message. Well, hopefully we're here to talk about life and leadership and not technology. Because if you've learned anything about me, Kevin, it's, it, that is my weak link, man. Hey, but- Nobody. What you should know on the front side is, uh, although I'm not great at hopping on these uh, webcasts, I'm delighted to be on your show, and in particular, a second time. That's okay. We save everybody the experience of the 10 minutes before each show to figure <laughs> right. out how all, this stuff, how all this stuff works. Well, man, I'm going to start off here with a personal testimony of, uh, of your book. So I got, I think when we did the first show, well, so let me, let me tell folks that. So folks, we did, uh, if you go back, show 405. It was, uh, as of the time this show is going to air right now, it'll be about two years. It was July 2016. We talked about the book uh, On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And I got, I don't know, I got a handful of copies. I know I gave some away, but I have one here in my office. I have one at home, and I was not even aware of it. So I got a bunch of kids. My, uh, my 12-year-old is a voracious reader. He read your book. Not only did he read it, he picked it up and he says, oh, dad, you did. Is that, is that one still at the house? I said, yeah. 
I said, I'm going to read it again. He just read it again. Uh, <laughs> and, and I thought that nothing speaks to me more to have a 12. I mean, most people's 12 year olds don't want to read anything. Uh, now he is right. a reader, but uh, you know, he's reading Harry Potter and anything else he can get his hands on. And he read your book because the message spoke to him. Well, man, that, that's, it's flattering. And I think a lot of times when you hear about a guy who seems to have a, like a leadership self-help and almost like an autobiography, you probably make the judgment, well, it's all about him. And I think what makes On Fire so beautiful, whether you're 82 or you are 12, is that it's about the ordinary heroes. And it's about janitors and ball players and siblings and parents and nurses and doctors. And you, the reader, can place yourself in one of their shoes and then imagine being part of someone else's miracle. And so it, it's kind of like Harry Potter, except it's real. And you can imagine yourself actually being Harry and being the hero of the story. And so I'm delighted that your that your son read it, and I'm thrilled you shared it with them. Well, you know, I, I've got to tell you, we've we've uh, in the past man, six months or so, I uh, have interviewed people with significant physical handicaps, and it's been interesting for me even to look at that and to go. It's all to me. It's it's like there's this. These are my paraphrasing. It's like there's a sixth sense. That you guys have because you have such an acute, blatant thing in your life. And I know your story, and it impacted me two years ago, is that I have just as many, maybe more handicaps than you do. They're just not as apparent, which that may be the bigger handicap. <laughs> Yours is so apparent uh, that you have had to face it, deal with it, overcome it to such a degree that you're, well, th- th- your sixth sense is why you're here. It's how, right. why you inspire people. And so when folks like you, we had Eric Weinmayer, uh, you know, uh, we, you know, we had uh, uh, Nick Vujicic, uh, we had uh, Mandy Harvey on. And I, I'm just I, it, I've talked about it with my family, John. I really have. And said, folks, I, you know, guys, I think that we have a, almost more of a handicap because we don't have something that blatantly shows us some of our limitations or some of the issues that we have that we need mm-hmm. to achieve and overcome and uh i mean do you feel like that sometimes that it's not that you're special but you have given that gift of the tragedy that you have that has given you an insight well first of all thank you and and i i know the guests that you've had so to be uh shared in the same sentence with commas between our names is shockingly humbling but man i gotta tell you like i when I look in the mirror, I see, you know, for the li- listeners who don't really know my full story, I got burned as a nine-year-old boy on 100% of my body, was expected to die, spent five months in the hospital, went through amputations on my fingers, have skin grafts over my entire body. It's a crazy story. And yet, in some regards, what makes it most crazy today is I don't identify as a burn victim or a burn survivor. I, I view myself as a child of God, as a husband to one, as a father to four, as a son to Susan and Denny O'Leary, sibling to five, business owner. I'm a whole lot of job titles. Uh, gardener on occasion. I walk through the backyard with a pooper scooper on occasion. I mean, I'm a whole lot of jobs before I would ever say I'm a burn victim or burn survivor or disabled man learning to overcome. Because that's just not how I identify. And I, I think the the blessing and the gift of this is when you stop looking at the things that are so obviously wrong, whether it's your bad hair day or you're going to miss your flight, this stuff actually turns out to be pretty insignificant. 
So if you can look at hands that are missing fingers and say, you know, it's just not a big deal. I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to play the piano regardless. I'm going to throw the baseball with my kids regardless. It allows everything else in your day that others might say it's going to derail me to just not be a big deal. And so there is in fact a great gift of disfigurement or a disability because we realize it's actually not. And it, it also cheapens the other disabilities that everybody else faces that we all face in every day of our lives. So I, I, I view it all as a gift. Well, again, it's as, as the gift of me being able to do these interviews, John, is I feel like I am the first and most <laughs> benefiting student of this. And I've got, uh, I've got an older son who's had a long history of medical issues. He had epilepsy. Yes. And he's 20. He's just about to turn 23. And it's really within the past year that we have kind of come around. And, and, and the example of folks like you has helped me as a dad to talk with him and to instead of treating him like he doesn't have a handicap because I was always scared of, I don't want to label him. I don't want to limit him. Right. And instead right. going, cause we're doing some testing with him and finding out he's got some areas where he is amazing off the charts and he's got some areas where he is not, he is, totally. he is, he is at a deficit and taking those and saying, let's put those on the table and say, you know what, buddy, you have a handicap, you have an issue. And we need to deal with this and see how we can help you overcome this so that you can find your superpower as well. And it's, again, it's been, it's really gotten me on a different tangent, John, of saying, yes. man, I want to get out all my limitations. Let's put them on the table and say, yeah, that's, that's a real one. That's a real issue. How can I manage it so that I can go pursue, you know, the callings in my life and the brilliance that's within me? Well, there's a, a 2,500-year-old personality test called the Enneagram. And the odd thing about the Enneagram, because most, most of our strength finders, you look for the strengths. The cool thing about the Enneagram is you actually look for the weaknesses. You look for the shadows. And in finding the shadows, because if you go outside right now and you look for the long shadow of the tree, well, if you follow the shadow all the way around, you're going to see where the light is hitting it. And so in seeing where we have shadows in life, the opposite side of that is you're going to see where there's an awful lot of light. And I think too frequently, Kev, we get all wrapped up in, in trying to get C pluses and Bs everywhere. And what I'm hearing you say about your boy and what I'm encouraging your listeners to check out for themselves is forget about trying to get everything to a C plus. Let's fail in some areas and don't apologize for it, but then find those areas where you truly can thrive and really put the, 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 the foot down on the metal and take it all the way down and accelerate in these areas. And if you're weak at uh, shooting baskets, check out soccer instead. If you're weak at math, try writing rather than just trying to do everything okay. Man, I, I, I love that. And that is – well, okay, so you mentioned your, your story, and I, I want folks to know uh, – again, go back to show 405. You can hear that. We really talk through your story right. and the points of your book. Go get the book on fire. Today, uh, I want to almost do a part two. That was two years ago. And yeah, I, I know a guy like you in the past two years, a lot has happened. Your insights have grown. They've evolved. And I want to ask a little bit about that. What have you seen? Yeah, if we can even uh, go back two years from that standpoint, right. from, from there to now, what are some in your work, in your efforts to inspire people to drive them, motivate them towards their true life, which I want to talk about and dig in on. But what have you seen change? Has there been anything that has, has surprised you or you've gotten a, a revelation on or, you, or it's been confirming and you're going more down that path than maybe you were two years ago? 
Oh, man. I mean, that's such a great question, and there's so many ways to take it. I think what has surprised me most is I frequently sit back and I'm, I, I think to myself, how in the world did I get here? Seriously, on your webcast. I'm, I'm blown away by being on your show today. I, uh, I have the honor of being considered a number one national bestselling author. The book that you keep referencing has been translated into 13 languages. Maybe for me, most recently, a radical experience is I was sitting at a conference actually doing a sound check. There were 19,000 people that were going to be in the audience later on that day, Kev. And um, to my, I get nervous in front of a group of three Girl Scouts, let alone 19,000 at the Las Vegas MGM Grand. Like it's, it's freaking me out even thinking back on it. But to my right on a secondary stage was a piano. And so after I did my little sound check, I walked over to this piano and I just kind of to relax played a little bit. I, you know, I don't have fingers, but I, I play the piano a little bit. So I'm just quietly plumbing away at this thing and one of the executives from this organization says to me oh i didn't know you knew how to play the piano so i shut the lid quickly and i say ma'am i i I don't and her response was john i just heard you you know how to play will you play for my family this afternoon and i said i think that's a bad idea ma'am and uh she said well I, i don't i think it's a great idea and so i said okay what song would you like to hear and her answer and it's a great answer was what was your mom's favorite because she knew the background story, Kevin. The reason I play the piano today, the reason I'm, I can say, how did I get here, is when I came home from the hospital, I came home on a Saturday. The Tuesday that followed, I'm in a wheelchair on a morphine drip with no fingers. The doorbell rings, and it's our piano teacher. Her name was Mrs. Bartello. I'm nine. I don't know why she's in our house. My mother brings her in. My mom comes back into the kitchen, looks at me, and I say, Mama, why is she here? And my mother doesn't answer. Instead, she bends down, she unhooks the brakes on my wheelchair, and we could unpack that one, the rest of your podcast, unhook the brakes on your wheelchair, people. That's what she does for me. She rolls me from the kitchen table into the living room. I take my first piano class with no fingers on a morphine drip. I hate my mom that day, and maybe the only time I hated her more was the following Tuesday, and then the following Tuesday, and the following Tuesday for five years. So the reason I play my piano today, and I have one at my home office, is because my mom insisted, not that I become, in quotes, normal, but that I refuse to have crutches in life. And what what a gift that is as a leader or as a parent to demand from their child, listen to me, they may have taken your fingers, they've not taken your life. You will not act like that in this house. That is a gift. So my mom gave me that gift. So here I find myself 25 years later in the MGM Grand, just I was playing a little Coldplay song actually called The Scientist. It's one of my wife's favorites. So I'm just doing that to relax. And then she said, well, what's your favorite song? Or what's your mother's favorite? And my mom's favorite, Kevin, the one I first learned after being burned was Amazing Grace. And so I tell tell her this and she goes, that's the song that I want you to play for my family. So at two o'clock in the afternoon in front of 19,000 Arbonne consultants, This kid who uh, has no fingers and has no chance at life is now seated in front of them all, sharing the story, jamming out to amazing grace. And so you asked me, what have you learned? What I have learned is when you are bold enough to say yes to possibility that we collectively, boldly, faithfully, and setting the right goals with the right people around us can move mountains. When I first told my editor in New York, my dream for On Fire is to become a number one national bestselling book. Her response wasn't, well, let's go get it. Her response was she started laughing. And then she said, well, maybe we should start by trying to get this thing printed. And I said back to her, ma'am, I don't think you heard me. We want to make this a number one national bestselling book. That's 
where we're going. And it wasn't, hey, I think I can make some money on this. I, I think we can open up some doors and have bigger audiences to speak to. We have a message that we want to share with the world. And I think the timing is right. And so I, I was compelled. We were convicted. We worked like dogs. And uh, it came out March 15th. Two weeks later, it was a number one national bestseller, which means now it went global because they catch wind of this, meaning we're touching lives in Portugal and in Korea and all around the world because the story is not about us. It's just about boldly saying yes and then serving it and acting as your brother's and sister's keeper and then seeing what might happen next. Well, it's speaking of testimony and and for folks who hear, uh, go back and listen to the other show. <laughs> but in that one, uh, it was, I was given, somebody turned me on to you. I think it was an agent or somebody who was, uh, sent you, sent you my direction. I did not know you. And nine out of 10 times, that's, I guess we, we got a lot of people who would like to be on the show. I'm, I'm grateful for, but I clicked the link for your video. Uh, one of the main videos that they have for you, I watched about 30 seconds and I responded back and said, let's do this. Uh, so, okay. I want to come, I want to come back here to, to, the, to that, that point right there. I mean, your bio, John, I looked at it again and it starts off right at the beginning with, uh, uh, that you were expected to die. John O'Leary now teaches others how to truly live. Okay. Well that I, I like, I'm standing in uh, my studio right here is in a, uh, a medical office that I'm partner in and it's called true life medicine. And the focus is to help people find what is true life to them. Now it starts off primarily physiologically and th you know, things that they're dealing with, but that's the point is, Hey, here's where you are now. Where do you want to get to? We have to know what your goal and the only one who can define true life for you is you. So granted, and that comes from, uh, and you probably know this one, first Timothy six nineteen that says storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life or that, which yeah. is truly life. So of course, so if we take that, that aspect of true life, just like your bio, obviously like success, that is a personal definition, but there are some, there's some aspects of success and true life that we can lay out that, that is good for all of us. And, and so in an aspect of that, I was going to ask you, so how do you, how would you define true life for us, John? But I'm going to, instead wow. I'm going to, well, okay, you can do that. Or I'm, or I, what came to mind was I wanted to ask you, what do you see out there in the culture uh, people suffering from that is not truly living wow. that you're trying to address? Well, that might be even the better question. Okay. So, it, you know, you can ask yourself, what are we all pursuing? Let, let me let me back into this, Kevin. I had the great fortune of accidentally, and I mean that sincerely, becoming a hospital chaplain for three years. It was not on my radar. I didn't intend it to happen, but it, it you know, who knows? Only God can conceive, man. And, and uh, he makes sense out of our missteps. So I end up being a chaplain. While I'm, I'm learning that skill set, and the skill set primarily is just to shut up and reflect. Mm. I'm not there to preach or to convert or to fix. I'm there to be people's friends during a moment of great crisis. And so I walk into this, this individual's room one time, and I don't think I'm breaking HIPAA, but if I am, one of your nurses or doctors or attorneys can <laughs> right. give me a letter explaining me my wrongs here. But I walk into this guy's room, and the very first thing I notice is it is incredibly stale. Not only like the smell, but the look. There's just nothing besides gray walls in this room. And sit down alongside of this guy, pull up a little chair, and we just start talking. And then he talks about what his life was, his true life, in other words, yeah. lowercase letters. 
and how he was um, he was a business owner. He was successful. He talked about how he raced and raced and raced. And in doing so, he, he developed some addictions, the addiction towards success. He talked about the addiction of smoking and the addiction of drinking, mm. along with the addiction of other things that caused his family life, including his marriage, to fall apart. Here, all of these choices that he made on the journey towards success have led him, he thought, to being in this hospital room, slowly dying by himself. And then he said something I'll never forget. John, I realized as I had been racing up the ladder of success in my life, I've reached almost the top rung, and I've been leaning this ladder against the wrong, against the wrong wall. And that blew me away. Because I think your question is, so what is the wrong life that many of us are pursuing? I don't think most of us have a clue what the right life is. Hmm. I I think we see social media and we think, well, shoot, she gets a lot of clicks when she posts pictures like that. Or when he takes a hot take on something taking place in sports or politics, it gets a lot of response. Maybe that's what I ought to do. They have a big house. Maybe that's what will make me happy. We don't have a clue what will bring real happiness into our life. And we find even when we achieve a little bit of happiness, that doesn't fill us. What we crave is not happiness in the first place. It's not even really success. I think it's significance and it's contentment. And ultimately, if you add those two up, you got joy. Joy is steadfast, regardless if it's cloudy or sunny outside, whether the money is rolling in or it is bone dry. We can learn to be content in all things. That's the great gift of joy. And if you ask me, so what what does true life look like? I think it is men and women who are pursuing their version of joy, not happiness, not success, not momentum, not the next thing that's going to fill them up for just a few more minutes until they get hungry again, but something that will satisfy them in, in the long run. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay, so I'm curious on that. Obviously, this is the Ziegler show. We talk about goals plenty. But when you talk about that, that the the true life, we we don't often have a clue what that is for ourselves. And you talk about significance and contentment. Is that where you would start is that we need to take an audit of ourselves, of who we are, and what is it that is true life for us? To, To clarify, what does give us significance and contentment because as you talk about the accidental life i assume that is when we are just going along we're responding to life and we have never sat down to say what would true life look like so is that kind of your first step of let's first off clarify what that is for you yes is the answer the the short answer to your uh your layered question okay many many of us set goals and I'm a big goals guy, so please don't misread this. Mm. I think ultimately in life, we're, we're going to hit what we aim for. My encouragement is to make sure that what you are hitting for is actually your goal, and not your neighbor's, not your daddy's, because you were never good enough, or he never said, man, the 97 is good enough, brother. Well done. Uh, mm. Make sure that the goal that you have set for yourself is your goal. Well, how do we know that one, man? I always start at the end. On my deathbed, what does success look like? Who's in that room with me? What what fills me? What brings joy back into my heart? Is is it the money? Is it the house? Is it the pool? Is it the, the women? Is it the booze? Is it all this stuff? And, and maybe for some of us, hey, it, it feels good today. But I ask you, at the end of the days, is that what you're longing for? And then keep backing out of it. So 20 years downstream, what does success look like? 10 years, six years. I, I like working in these kind of odd numbers. Three years, 18 months. I, 
I would encourage your listeners to think a little bit less on what they can do during the course of their 24 hours, but think way more, way larger about what they can do in an 18-month marathon. I think we, we, we could radically reinvent our physical life. We can radically reinvent, pay down our financial debts. We can move in a completely different direction professionally. We can do wild things if you start looking in 18-month gaps. And so uh, every year, we set 18-month goals. We keep tracking toward it, but we make sure they're all in line with a long-term vision of what success looks like. And it gets out of line occasionally for us. When, when I wrote On Fire, you can imagine the phones kept ringing. And man, when the success gravy trade is showing up, it's so easy to say yes. But I found myself saying yes to the things. And in saying yes to them, I was saying no to my family. Yeah. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a son to a, my own father. Father has Parkinson's disease. He struggles with that. My mother's the caretaker. She struggles with that. So in being on the road, saying yes to all these cool opportunities, there's a cost. There's a cost there. And so now today, being a little bit more aware of this cost, I say yes to two events a week, which means now I'm saying yes to five nights at home, at least, at least with my babies, at least with my wife, at least with my parents. So I'm trying to be a little bit more clear for myself on what success looks like. Well, and I wanted to go from that question to ask one that I think you've hit on, but I'll ask to dig in a little bit more that when you look at, uh, and again, I'm going to paint the broad brush of the cult. Well, you know, not, the, not even the culture so much. I mean, even here we have, you know, tens of thousands of people listening that are going to be listening to this show and they're an aspiring person. They're not off doing mindless right. entertainment. They're here listening to something because they want to want to be better. But even there with those folks, me included, that my question was, what do you see today in our culture as some of the primary thieves uh, of our true life? But I feel like you awesome. just, you just named a couple. One, uh, maybe first off, we don't have clarity on, on what that That's significance sure. and commitment, but then you also said uh, having that longer term vision uh, as yes. well, not just focus there. So dig in a little bit either on both those, or if there are some other, again, I want the, the to put yes. on the table, as we talked about before we started the show, uh, some of those primary thieves, get them out here and get some light on them. Cool, man. So I would go into those two and I would add at least at least one more into it. We could talk about more if we have time. One other thing I think is a thief of ours is we don't live in real time. And you can say, well, John, yes, we do, man. I'm, you and I are talking right now. Yes, we are. But for the most part, and I'm talking to myself, so I, listeners, friends, just know like I'm not preaching down at anybody. I'm looking at a pretty broken reflection in the mirror, trying to make it a little bit better tomorrow than I did today or yesterday. But, but for the most part, if you think about the emotions we feel during the course of a day, and then you track back, so what time period are we living in during those emotions? We are either living in the past of regret, of mistakes, of disappointments, of, of anger, all these emotions that are backward facing or in the lens of the future tense, which is all around, this is how the media lives, all around f fired up through fear, which creates anxiety, creates worrisome, creates overwhelm, creates all these great tensions that we face right now. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to travel the country as Donald Trump was being elected. And I, I'm not saying whether I voted for him or not. But when he was elected, there was a big headline, I think the New York Times said he comes to get he gets elected at the most divisive time in the history of our country. Mm -hmm. And that's the headline. But I'm traveling meeting people in CEO suites 
in jails and hospitals and schoolhouses. Like, that's my job, man, going out down Main Street, meeting people. And when I meet people one-to-one or in groups, it didn't feel like the most divisive time in the history of our country. I think we can point to a few other times that might have been a little bit more divisive than a stock market at the all-time high. Then maybe the safest period in the history of the world, and we find ourselves living in the middle of it. The media does a phenomenal job having us live at any time other than the present. Mm. So in saying all that, these thieves of time, John, how do you snap out of it? Man, I would encourage all of us, and myself included, to try a little bit more frequently to live now. Mm. I got a, a little boy named Patrick. And I lost Patrick recently. He was, uh, we're, we're doing a pool in our backyard actually right now. And so I'm, I'm concerned about him. He's a little boy. I was worried, man, I hope he's not playing in the, the drying cement right now. I ran outside. Uh, it's cold. The snow is still on the ground. Patrick is seated underneath this oak tree out to my, my left right now. He's barefoot with old crusty socks on, no shoes, no jacket, under an oak tree looking up. So I run out there. I put my arm around him and I say, Patrick, what you doing, man? And he looks at me and says, nothing, which is an awesome answer. And then I say, why? And then he looks back at me and he says, an answer that I think we should say more frequently, Kevin. He says, just because. And I'm like, I never do nothing just because. I'm always sprinting somewhere. And unfortunately, frequently in the sprint of life, we forget to do nothing Mm -hmm. just because. And the greatest teachers and leaders and shepherds, Zig included, would take times periodically to slow down, to pause, to pray, to reflect, to journal, to do nothing just because. And so I I learn a lot around time just by watching my boys play. I I love that, John. I mentioned uh, one of my sons earlier, and it's the same one, Caleb, uh, my, my oldest son, and that is something that we have attested to him. I am like you. I have a hard time sitting still. I have a hard time not doing something. I am admittedly, I struggle with the addiction of productivity. And uh, he would often just sit there, sit and eat something, maybe by himself. Nothing in front of him, no book, no computer. And it, it was not only odd to me, it almost bothered me. I'm right. the guy, you know, don't just sit there, do something, get something out of it. And it finally, there was some fruition of that. And we came around to what Caleb has taught us about sometimes don't just do something, sit there. Right. So that's a family terminology. I need the t-shirt actually to remind myself of that. Don't just do something, sit there. And he does that even today. He'll sit there at the table and just thoughtfully eat and think and look out the window. And what a gift is that uh, once I get past my own admitted junk. So thank you for uh, reiterating that for me Uh, on this tangent, John, something I read, uh, in some of your information said, I was, it was, uh, during one of the points that you talked to in some of your keynote speeches. And you said each year, 2.7 million American church members fall into inactivity. Uh, your effort is to wake them up to realize their role and responsibility in being the light. Uh, and we're talking from a faith-based standpoint, but I know that that aspect goes beyond that. And I'm going to ask you to speak into that, uh, term of falling into inactivity Define that for us. Man, I hope you have another hour in our, 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 uh, our podcast. Cause this, this <laughs> one is a lot to unpack. Okay. Kevin, I, I think too frequently we confuse being out of bed with being awake or in the pulpit for delivering a message that lights people on fire for their life and the life of those around them. Or we confuse um, marching 
with seriously, radically moving forward a worthy issue. We, we confuse judging and pointing a finger with actually loving somebody and trying to understand what they're going through, what it's like to come from their shadow, what it's like to wear, wear their shoes. And so when I talk about being light, man, you got to first realize we live in a world that is it's good. It's awesome. I think it's freer and wealthier and more connected than ever before. But there is some shadow going on. There's some darkness going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a longing. There's a hunger for light, not judgment, not necessarily Sunday morning school style. I mean, people who are bold enough to smile and hold doors open and say, hi, you doing? And then sit there and actually wait for the response. One of the things I do, I get a coffee almost every day from Starbucks. When the lady or the gentleman is checking me out before they say, what do you want? I say, uh, how you doing? And they, they don't even usually answer. And then I look into their eyes and watch as they stare back at me and they, they almost become shocked because they realize I actually care. There's not a whole lot of sincere light in this marketplace of people pausing to love one another in the marketplace of life. And so when I challenge people to be light and to pause and to be productive, it doesn't necessarily mean, I, okay, now get out your list, nine things, let's start checking these babies off. I mean, when you are with Kevin right now, my phone is on airplane mode and I'm not glancing down at it. My kids are going to be coming home here in a little bit and the door is shut into my office right now. They're not coming in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them afterwards. But right now, Kevin, I'm with you and I'm with your listeners. So I, I think the more we can wake up and to be present to the miracle that is this moment, it will attract others in our organizations, in our marriages, around the dinner table, in our churches, in our synagogues to be inspired to live their best life as well. Okay. Uh, okay. So right there, let's just keep going, right? Right in that vein. In As you talk about, I love the term of the accidental living because I relate to it. I mean, there are, well, you know what, in accidental living, I mean, I, I would have to, I would have to say, John, I mean, I have a very, I'm grateful for God's revelation in my own life to have an intentional life, to have things that I feel called to that I'm, I'm walking out. But do I have accidental moments? Do I have an accidental day? That's the one that floors me the most is when I get to the end of the day, actually it's the next morning when I'm doing my devotions, I'm digging in and going, man, I, yesterday was a blur. And I, right. I, I regret that. I regret that. So can, I, I, can I make a suggestion? Please. Yes. Because I, honestly, man, I have a bad, I really have a bad memory. I don't know if it's natural. I can just let this is what God gave me or being in the hospital and being uh, hooked up to all types of pipes and, and yeah. tubes for months after months. I really do, don't have a great memory. So my days and my weeks and my months become blurbs of murkiness. One of the things I found that helped them to become laser focused, both in real time, but also in retrospect, is I keep an active journal both in the morning and in the evening. And I think you and I might have talked about this a little bit in our previous visit. But every single evening, I ask one question of myself. And the question is, what more can I do? And it kind of tracks me through the day. I, I usually pull forward a story. Uh, something that hit me, something that touched my heart. And then I asked myself, so what more can I do specifically, like specifically for that purpose, toward that goal, to be more faithful, to pause more frequently, to be more loving. And I shut that book yeah. and I, I wake up and whatever I wrote in that, I take action on it. So that, that's kind of like my laser focus that tracks yesterday, but moves me toward today. That's one thing. Second thing I do is I'm lousy in relationships naturally. I'm forgetful, I'm ungrateful, and I take it for granted. Mm. So last year, 2017, and this is uh, just between you and me, your listeners can ignore this next All right, part. everybody, put it on mute. 
But I'm telling you right now, if you want to come into good grace with your spouse or someone you deeply love, a child, a parent, a neighbor, uh, write this one down. I felt like I was not being the best husband I could. And I feel that way all the time. But I, I really felt that way at the end of 2016. It was kind of about me, man. And uh, so what I did at the start, January 1st, 2017, is I opened up a new journal, separate from my other ones, leather bond, super expensive. And I wrote January 1, 2017, Dear Beth. And then at the end of that day, I tracked one cool thing that I witnessed my wife doing that day. I shut the book. I didn't tell her what I was doing. And then on January 2nd, at, at the end of that day, I did it again. And then on January 3rd, and then on March 15th, and then on April 3rd, all the way through for 360 days, did not miss one. Don't give yourself any rest, because if you go away from it once, you're going to stay away from it. For 360 days, I tracked the best of my wife, wrote each one of those things down. On Christmas morning, we're opening up presents. I give bad gifts, man. I give give dresses that I want to see her wearing. I I give coffee machines that I think are going to taste good for us. Like It's all about me, man. I'm seriously lousy at gift giving. But that Christmas, just a few months back, I gave her a little box with a little journal. And when she opened it up, out fell plane tickets that she and I went on together, movie tickets, restaurant receipts, pictures when I saw her leaving the house with dinner for a neighbor. And I took a picture of her walking down the street, and then I tucked that thing in there. All the good things of my wife were captured for a year. And my my favorite thing from this year is when I walk by her bedroom, and I hear her giggling about something. And it's her giggling about a moment that I captured in time that would have otherwise been forgotten forever. Mm. And instead of me focusing on her being late or not doing what I need her to do for me, I spent a year tracking on the things she does. And it, man, it, it was a lot. It was 360 awesome things. So I, you talk about how uh, sometimes the past is a little murky. Write it down. And some of you right now are thinking, man, I'm not married or I'm not a speaker. Or I don't have a cool podcast like Kevin. Your life is so worthy. You, you are the hero in that life. And I invite you right now to grab your Superman cape, so your, your Wonder Woman cape, put it on tight, take a flight, go to the edge and leap and start tracking notes on your journey because it is awesome. And you only really know it's awesome looking back at it. That is a beautiful charge that I hear and I accept. I do a lot of journaling. I do a lot of notes. I've, I'm, I'm kind of the sticky note king of the universe, I feel like, and I keep them in my pockets and I write. So, but yeah, that to intentionally capture the good uh, in anything, but even more totally. so my wife, that is uh, thank you. Uh, that's a charge for all of us. Well, uh, and imagine if MSNBC tracked one day of the Republican Party and Donald Trump doing good. Mm. And if Fox did a whole day talking about you know what? We may hate Hillary and her and her aisle, but you know what? We're going to spend a day focusing on the things they've done that are worthy. I'm telling you right now, because the reality is this. People love me until they find out I'm, I'm against them politically. Hmm. And so I never tell them. The reality is we are so much more alike than we are different. Yeah. We are so much alike. And our opportunity is to find that commonality, build those bridges forward, and then do our best work together. We We – divided we fall man it is about uniting and so how do you unite i think you track the best of your opponent you pull them in close you love them and then you figure out okay so now that we have this shared vision what can we do to walk toward it yeah you know what we what can we do to walk forward together that is uh obviously a very ziggler-esque vein that we're in there (laughs) and and i want to come back to what you said a second ago just in having us all 
focus on the worthiness of our own lives. And, and I'm, I'm going to go back to the accidental living again. And you actually have written, I think this is on your, on your website or some of the information that they sent, uh, right. referring to those who mindlessly move through routines, wasting countless hours on social media, complaining about what's wrong in our jobs, families, and society that has become the norm. And you ask, what would our day impact and output look like if we lived a radically inspired life every single day? But I want to get real down to earth and tangible with that, because I can hear that and I can nod. And I think everybody out there can hear that and go, oh my gosh, awesome. if I was radically inspired. Yes. But there is the day to day, all the stuff that you mentioned earlier from gardening and, and, and being the poop picker, picker upper in the backyard. And <laughs> by the way, that is one of my jobs. Okay. That's like me claiming something that's not mine. I get to own that one. Thanks for the testimony on that one. But, but that, but that's the true thing that we do have. You're talking about radical inspiration. I know we have a lot of folks who are in jobs that they are not thrilled about. They're working with people. They're not thrilled about They're in relationships. They're not thrilled about, or they're not in relationships and they're, and, and they're not, you know, they're, they're disappointed with that. They have the day-to-day duties and demands of work and kids and laundry and grocery shopping and taxes and yada, yada. And to think about, oh my goodness, how, it sounds great, John, be radically inspired. Right. Really? Really? In yes. my, in my life. And I, and I hear you calling us to the worthiness of our lives, but now we're getting into the tangible nuts and bolts reality that, you know, a lot of people are going, man, it sounds good, but right. How? how so, do I- let me, I'm going to kind of back into it by uh my mom and dad 12 years ago wrote a book called overwhelming odds and they, they printed 100 copies for their church that's it and it's a story of their little boy getting burned terribly and how the community and how god showed up yeah. that's it that was the end of the story we as a family had never talked about our story mm. they write this little book it goes viral i start to speak and then that goes viral then i write a book and then that, that kind of blows up in a a small way. So it's, it's been a crazy journey. But in the book, Overwhelming Odds, my mom and dad refer to what happened to their little boy on January 17, 1987, when that little boy named John, your guest today, decided to go into the garage with a lit piece of cardboard, hold it up to a can of gasoline, start to pour a little bit on top, wanting to see what might happen. Just pure curiosity, childhood w- w- wonder. They call that event, though, John's Accident. It shows up in the book, Overwhelming Odds, 13 times. I don't think there's coincidences in life. 13 times it shows up, John's accident, or in my mom's language, my baby's accident. So I'm going to ask you and your listeners, 10,000 right now or whatever the number is, when you hold the flame to a can of gasoline and you start to pour, what happens? Boom, boom. That's a bad scenario, yeah. Dude, is that an accident? And I would say, no. It's you could call it dumb. You can call it, oh, don't, don't be so hard on yourself, baby. You're just a little boy. You can call it a science experiment. You can call it a million things, but don't call that an accident. And I would say to you, listeners and me, the speaker and Kevin, the great host, too frequently, we call the things that happen around us and to us in life accidents. And those who are most effective and impactful and I think successful in the right sense of the word, choose not to. And, and if you say, well, give, give us one example, uh, I'll let you, I'm going to share, <laughs> I, I shared this story one time with a group of inmates in Fort Leavenworth, uh, Kansas, and I gave them about three minutes to identify the things they're grateful for, for being imprisoned, which wow. is kind of a weird angle. But I figure if you can take track the things that are worst and find a gratitude list, wow, what can you do with the good stuff? So what are you most grateful for, for being in prison? 
Three minutes later, I asked one guy raised his hand and his answer was not one damn thing. That was his answer in front of 46 inmates or so, not one dang thing. And I said, perfect, brother, anybody else, you know, anybody else. And there was a guy in the back row, uh, kind of mustardy, reddish hair. He stands up, he's wiry built. And he says, John, this is my list. And he went through it. The list of things he's grateful for, for being in Fort Leavenworth. Uh, He's a lifer, by the way. The very first thing he said was the opportunity of redemption. Three square meals, heat in the winter, air in the summer, running water, hot showers, uh, a library down the hall, access to the the internet once a week. And he went on and on and on and on. The final list was 46 items. When, when the first guy stood, this is a totally true story. When the first guy stood, every other inmate laughed. And so did I. It's kind of funny. Not one darn thing. When the second inmate, another lifer in an orange vest, stood and shared his list of, what, four dozen items, the entire room rose to their feet and applauded. Wow. So, yeah, so, so what is inspired living? Man, it doesn't mean you're out of jail. It doesn't mean you're not a janitor. It doesn't mean necessarily you're wealthy or you're married to Mr. or Mrs. Wright or you're having all the children that you dreamed of having and they're acting just perfectly. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you're choosing to be grateful for what you got right now and that you believe that tomorrow somehow that God's going to show up and make it even better tomorrow than it is today. But you're not going to wait for tomorrow. You're going to start living that right now. That is a profound story. So folks, write that down, get a Sharpie out and put inmates in Leavenworth. If they can be, that is, but it, but it is, it, it, it sounds, that is not, that's real life. That's not a Pollyanna uh, painting. That is, that's real life. I, I want to ask you, John, this is, this is just, this is just you, even with you just to bring it down from now, I know that you, uh, to some degrees, you do live on another plane. Thank God. Uh, but to a degree, has there recent months, recent years, do you ever f- have it creep up on you and, and realize, man, I'm, I, and it dawns on you, I, I've lost a little of the inspiration. I'm not living in that place now. Right. Is it, does it still Brother, creep up? Oh man, every day. And I, I appreciate you saying you live on a different plane. And I, I, I don't think that's accurate. Actually, okay. I, I may choose to play on a different plane, but I live in the exact same broken plane that you're hanging out in today, that your kids are hanging out in, that your, your listeners are hanging out in. The only difference is I, I'm in physical pain all day long, too. And I have people staring at me all day long, too. And I'm jet lagged half the time, too. And I got kids in every corner of the house that have their needs and a, a wife who's overwhelmed some days and a dad who's got Parkinson's and bills that are coming due and five employees. And we got to keep this thing going. And it's a lot. And there are frequent moments throughout the day where I just feel buried by it, but they are moments. And what I've realized is the sooner I can be able to call it out for what it is. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm, I'm just jet lagged. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm angry right now. The sooner I can call it the emotion and say, and I'm not, I'm not going to live there there anymore. The freer I get and the better I can leave going forward. So I I live in the same plane as everybody, everybody. I, I just choose to um, to play a different game sometimes. Okay. Well, I feel like that you, there was a sermon right there, you know, call, calling it out for what it is so that you can be free, get out of the darkness. Well, I want to ask you, and I 
am a big fan of having messages like this that people can actually take action on as well, which of course they can go get the book, which everybody folks go get the book. I have more than one copy myself. And as you heard at the beginning of the show, I've got kids reading this book now, Um, but you have a new endeavor and I'm going to shamelessly promote you. um, And because I want people to get involved in it, you've got a new endeavor, live inspired in studio, an online community of like-minded friends who do life together and get inspired uh, live webcast once a month. So tell me, I'm intrigued. That's all I know about it. Tell me more. Right. So it's an iterative process. You asked me, you know, a, a little while ago, what have you learned since the, the release of, of on fire? And what I've learned is that the mountain, sometimes we think is success mountain. When you get to the top, you realize it's just the beginning. If, if any of you have ever seen the movie Alive with Nando Prado, mm-hmm. it's a crazy, it's a true story. He's a great guy, by the way. But he gets to the top of the first mountain and he thinks he's going to get to the top, look down and see a town. And when he gets to the top, it's the Andes Mountains everywhere. Like he is totally busted. And when I got to the top of On Fire and we, we were high five and we got to the top, we looked out and we realized, oh, it's just the start. And so we kept asking ourselves, so what more can we do? How can we touch more lives? How do we build a community that doesn't just hear a message and be inspired by, but live it out and then influence and impact others through their own life. And so we started designing and dreaming up with this way of of coming together as an inspired community live where we're doing life together, where people are raising their hands and asking questions. We're starting in two months. We're going to start meeting together physically where we're going to start doing projects together, where it's going to kind of come off the bookshelf and out of the, out of the boardroom and into the streets. This is where it needs to be lived out first and foremost. So for the previous 12 months, we've been in beta stage for something called in studio. It's uh, the, the community picks topics that they want to learn more about topics like mindfulness or being present or forgiveness or setting goals or living your best life. They pick it. I research it like crazy. Spend a month of my life trying to learn how to, well, what does forgiveness look like? And then I show up the following month and I teach on it and they ask questions and we, we, we participate in this together. And then we have periodic check-ins throughout the month where we figure out, okay, so what are you bumping into? How do we rise above it? How do we overcome this thing together? And so I'm, I'm fired up to know what this is doing for people financially, what it's doing in their marriages, what it's doing in their professional walk, but really what it's doing to take them from living accidentally to being on fire with their life. So it's called In Studio with John O'Leary. And man, we, we call it In Studio because when you think about art, you don't mm-hmm. do art in your attic. You do art in studio. You don't create a cool new jazz album in your basement. You do it in a studio. The best of our work is created in studios, I think. And I think the best of our lives ought to be created there too. So that, that's the reason behind the name. We're, we're doing life together in studio. Okay. I love it. And folks, that is at John O'Leary, L-E-A-R-Y inspires. John O'Leary inspires.com slash studio. Um, well, you know what? Thank you, John, for joining me. <laughs> In the studio, how appropriate uh, today. And yeah, this will go out. You mentioned before, uh, it was, is it 10,000? No, this, this will hit about 50,000 people um, who will be so blessed uh, by this message. That's why I wanted you back again. When we looked at our list, we have so many folks that we interview, 
but we started looking back and said, who are the folks that we need to have back on the show that people need to hear another story from? They need to hear another insertion from, uh, they need to go back in the studio with, so it, it, it was you. Um, so John, well, thank you. Let me just say that I, one of the 50,000 is your guest today. I'm a huge fan of the show and of the legacy that you are continuing for mm. uh, Zig Ziglar and his principles changed my life. Mm. And so what you are teaching and preaching and interviewing around today and then encouraging your audience to, to believe in, it's not just good. <laughs> it's great. And it doesn't just kind of work. I think it's transformative. My, my ask of your listeners, man, go all in on it. Like really believe that it's not just true for Zig or the other guests that you bring on. Every one of your guests, the truth of their story is they're ordinary. And they just keep doing the stuff yeah. again and again and again. And then they look back on it and they, they realize one day, my gosh, I've been able and blessed to live an exceptional life. So my, my invitation to each of you listening right now is you are exceptional. You are miracles. You're not here by accident. Don't act like it. Start living intentionally and realize that your best is yet to come starting right now. Folks, there you go. That's the show right there. And uh, speaking of your normalcy, so I'll give them a teaser that a week from now we'll have uh, we'll have John back and talking about his daily habits. What are the down to earth, behind the scenes thing that a normal guy like John O'Leary <laughs> does to uh, to rise above the normal things that we always uh, well our humanity that we all wake up, wake up with every single morning. Brother, thank you for being with us in studio today. Kevin, it's been a pleasure. There you go, folks. Raw, unadulterated inspiration. Remember, John is inviting Ziegler listeners to his new Live Inspired in Studio with John O'Leary online community. It's like-minded friends who do life together and get inspired with John via a live webcast once a month. You can find it at johnolearyinspires.com slash studio. Hey, you got value from the show? Will you give John some love? Leave an iTunes review for The Ziegler Show Tell people what inspired you about John's message. Well, coming up in show 588, we hear from Zig Ziglar on the power of planning and preparation. I tell you, I am admittedly not a great planner and preparer. I just want to go from idea to selling it. But in between, it's necessary to plan and prepare. So I asked this question on Facebook a little bit with my own flavor. I asked, I said, planning is necessary, but for those of you who do not enjoy planning and preparing like me and are just eager to get to the doing, what tools, strategies, or habits do you use to help with your needed planning and preparations? We had great comments and ideas to this, and I talked through them with my co-host, Michelle Prince. I hope you'll join us. Till then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.